Malcolm Holine is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and joins us from Israel on this era of Shabbos for the weekly update. Mr. Holine, welcome back to JM in the AM. Well, Shabbat Shalom to you and to everyone in Chaksameach from beautiful Jerusalem, sunny, gorgeous Jerusalem. You mean the Jerusalem that's a holy city to the Jews or the Jerusalem that's not a holy city to the Jews? Well, we're clearly imposters in our claim to be here, and all of the archaeological finds are clearly just a Zionist plot. And the uh, amazing uh, story of 3,000 years of Jewish history, Jewish attachment to this place is all a fable, and as is the Christian connection and those of other faiths who follow that tradition, uh, that the United Nations uh, made, uh, UNESCO made this determination. I have to say that the director, with whom I contacted last night, issued a very strong statement today disassociating herself from the decision. And even though she's, you know, no longer running for Secretary General of the United Nations, as she was the last time we spoke about the, the previous resolution, uh, so she didn't have a political gain to, to be had from this. She, did it because I think she recognizes it's a moral outrage. Uh, the vote was better this time in some of the countries that we have been contacting, uh, like Argentina and France, went to an abstent went to from a vote for to an abstention. But frankly, this is a moral issue, and for them to abstain, as did other countries or those that voted for, including Russia, is really an outrage. And I know people. Don't take the U.N. seriously, certainly not the U.N. agencies. But as I said so many times over the last two years since this process began, and I warned that it would have real consequences, this has real consequences. This can in the future be used to deny us access, to deny our rights, to say, look, the United Nations has only designated these places as Muslim holy sites. It is a, a denigration of Jewish history, a diminution, a denial that is is truly uh, in- incredible. Where's the failure here, Malcolm? Is the failure among Israeli leadership and its representatives at the United Nations? Is the failure among American Jewish leaders who didn't see this coming? Where Where is the failure in this whole process? Well, I, I just have to say that we did see it coming, and we have been working on it very hard. Uh, we pressed American officials and American uh, uh, UN delegation ha- uh, members have uh, worked hard on this. The uh, the government of Israel certainly has advocated. The prime minister has spoken about it. Our ministry people have been working on it. Uh, people at the UN and elsewhere. But the the overall problem is that people don't take it seriously. And I think in this case, the implications weren't as apparent. But those who listen regularly to this show know how seriously we took it, how much uh, I've spoken, we've lobbied. Uh, I can tell you that the Jewish organizations met with officials throughout the U.N. General Assembly opening sessions, and this was the number one topic. We pressed everybody on it. Uh, again, the vote was better, but not good. Only six countries voted against, Estonia, Germany, uh, Latvia, I think, uh, 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 Lithuania, rather, um, Britain, the U.S., it's hardly enough, and the, those that didn't, we will be holding to account. We've already contacted most of them, and the rest will be this mor- done this morning. It's, it's, um, 
it, it, it has, it, it's so offensive to me, I can hardly get the words out to describe how horrific this uh, notion of denying Jewish history, 3,800 years of Jewish history, and 2,000 years of Christian history, of this the Judeo, whole foundation of the Judeo-Christian tradition. You know, yesterday, Nahum, I went to the Sifting Project. I don't know if you've ever been there, but... You know, it, it is the the stuff that was taken off of Harabayit, mm-hmm. uh, off the Temple Mount by Arafat, remember? And they oh, dumped yeah. it in the old city dump when they cleaned out the, the area around Solomon's Stables. And they built a mosque, and then he went ahead and destroyed much more, just bulldozed whole areas. And I think 160,000 people have participated uh, for more than a decade in this sifting project where you go and look, uh, you go to the site, and you, go, you you are given a bucket, and you wash it, and then you you sort through it to look for a piece of glass metal, so that they can try to reconstruct and rebuild what uh, the, these uh, came from, what was there, and and we found something from the first temple period and second temple period. At the end, they they explained to you the findings and what periods they attributed them, attribute them to. But the fact that they've been able to put together the tiles. From the from the Beit Hamikdash, from the plaza of the temple, all of this flies in the face of of what we heard at the UN. Well, yeah, all of the discoveries are just—I mean, it's not us; it's not our assertion; it's hard, tangible fact. Yeah, I mean that—that's why the aftermath of this decision is is going to be so uh, so critical. And uh, uh, whoever is responsible for dropping the ball on this, it's an absolute disaster. The um, you know, you can imagine how many people here have already recommended <laughs> by email and other means uh, that Israel should, in fact, pull out of the U.N. Now, we, we know that that's not a, a reality, and that probably is not in the best interests of anybody. But but what can be done at this point? Uh, what, what can Israel do in the aftermath of this decision to try to reverse or try to influence uh, UNESCO at this point? Pulling out is, is always the first response to people, and I've gotten many messages to that effect. Also, it's not realistic. The United States is not going to pull out, and Israel doesn't pull out. And, and Israel's presence there is critical because of the many other interests, whether it comes to peacekeeping, World Health Organization, many other agencies where Israel's presence is critical to protect its own standing and its interests, but also to contribute. And the uh, this requires a much more thoughtful and uh, process and we will continue to work to get the countries to agree to rescind it. It has to be rescinded. There's no other option. It must be uh, either removed from the books by a vote or uh, another resolution passed that uh, balances it out and, and uh, reestablishes the historic truths. That is really our next goal in, in this process. Uh, you know, I, as a kid, I remember Zionism racism, so I, I can't right. I can't relate to it exactly the same way because obviously it was a different stage of my life. But it seems that this this, this whole uh, episode is much more acute. This this goes much more directly to the Jewish heart, so to speak, than even that vote was. It does because it it denies our relationship to the most important place in the world to us. It and which in essence denies the whole foundation uh, of, of our faith, and, and essentially is a repudiation of Judaism. It is what Nazis, back to the Romans, did when they wanted to, to denigrate and mock the Jews. They would yell, Hep, Jerusalem had perdita, Jerusalem was lost. 
because that was seen as the ultimate act of degradation. And here we are seeing it done by the international community. Now, it's true that most of the Americans didn't vote. Obviously, the United States, Germany, uh, other Britain, uh, and many others abstained. And it's only members that are part of the Executive Council of, of Munich participated. But it's as a statement, as a declaration that was exploited. It is... Uh, it is uh, of far greater significance than the vote itself might indicate. Yeah, no question about that. Uh, all right, Israel has reacted. Um, I guess the uh, uh, the most telling um, uh, reaction has been the uh, uh, the Naftali Bennett statement that Israel will cease cooperating with UNESCO at this point, or will suspend its cooperation with UNESCO. Now, you just pointed out that there are reasons to stay involved and to stay part of the process. What type of what kind of teeth does this threat by Naftali Bennett have uh, against UNESCO? Well, Israel's interaction with UNESCO is, is pretty limited, and the United States, you know, pulled out because of pressure uh, from the Jewish community and others because of previous violations and, and excesses by uh, by UNESCO. So, the United States does not pay dues. So, people have asked me about cutting the funding. The answer is, we already cut the funding. And we, they do not uh, really, uh, are, their position there, they say, is diminished because of the fact that they don't pay dues and they're not seen as uh, full participants in the, in, the, in the UNESCO process. Yeah. Brand new Secretary General from Portugal, does it make a difference one way or the other vis-a-vis Israel? It makes a big difference. The Secretary, of, uh, Secretary General is in a key position. Uh, his statements matter. They're heard. They're they're, you know, given different degrees of of credibility, and credence. But what I found is that many of the secretaries general, before they become uh, officially the secretary general, uh, are very open and friendly. And <laughs> we have met. I've yeah. met with Guterres, as I met with Ban Ki Moon and with Kofi Annan, who before were really supportive and very open. And then they get caught in the web of of the intrigue of the internal operations of the United Nations. Yeah, exactly. Many people someone who sits, are anti-Israel. Someone sits are, them down after a couple of weeks and says, here's how it really works over here. You know, Right, and they, they give them the notes, they give them the minutes. And I have to say that I think Ban Ki-moon was a decent man and, again, corrupted in, in his views on some issues because of the... Um, the whole infrastructure of the United Nations, the advisors, the other people who work there, and the general majority that is hostile to Israel, and he has to retain yeah. both his, his position and his uh, the support of these countries. Yeah, but but yeah. I think Guterres, I just want to tell you one yeah, thing, sure. that he, he told me that he led the effort to revoke the legislation from the 40, from 1490s uh, that uh, uh, began the Inquisition, Against Israel, that those books have remained, laws have remained on the books right. until recently, and as a member of the parliament, he led the effort to to remove. Them. Right, you, you had so me- we will see. you had mentioned that to us. I, some, sometimes I'm a little bit skeptical about those who concentrate on revoking 500 year old rules. <laughs> but, right, <laughs> but he, but he, they did other things. No, that I, were, that I, were more positive. No, I got I it. I got it. Uh, th- yeah, I got that. Okay. But uh, no, the, the, uh, but you know that when you're the prime minister of Portugal, we have things to look at, and there are some questions about his past record. Uh, but there is a, a he did have a closeness to the Jewish community, the small Jewish community of Portugal, 
and uh, felt a, a certain kinship by by revoking. The fact is that nobody over the last 500 years did it. Well, right. That's the disturbing I got part. that. Yeah, I got that. Uh, the other thing is that, and it must drive you crazy, Malcolm Honline live from Jerusalem, must drive you crazy in, 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 um, in uh, reference to Ban Ki-moon and, and, and others, and especially members of the media, you're probably sometimes hearing their public presentations and saying to yourself, is this the same guy I just spoke to in private? Is this the same guy or the same media person, man or woman, who you know just spoke with me off the record a certain way and now is presenting publicly completely differently? I mean, that must happen to you every single day. It happens many days, and it's not just at the U.N. It's, uh, you know, there are American officials, there are Europeans and officials around the world who, who will tell you one thing, and then all of a sudden you see that the way it comes out is not exactly the way that it was presented to you, often quite the opposite of what you had anticipated. Unbelievable. And it's our job is to hold their feet to the fire, to keep them accountable. You know, we have to do it in intelligent ways. We have to build support. We need the votes of countries, you know, that li- like the, the UNESCO vote. And so we invest a lot in order to build ties. And in some cases, it really yields extremely positive results. In other cases, it takes time. In other cases, it doesn't. And, you know, they, they have other competing interests that they uh, pursue. And, you know, Israel's a small country. We forget it. That There's uh, 21 Arab countries. There's uh, the uh, almost 50-plus members of the organization of the Islamic uh, Council that uh, there, there are big blocks in the non-aligned movement, which is uh, you know, uh, the vast majority of the members of the United Nations, right. about 140 countries. By the way, there's one more point on this that we must make, and this was made, of course, by the Prime Minister brilliantly uh, when he referred to the Great Wall of China and the pyramids in Egypt. I would assume the Temple Mount and Israel, or the Jewish people, is likely the only geographic uh, re- slash religious discussion that's ever happened in the UN. I would assume that when it comes to the heritage, religious or not, of other countries, a great sites have not been challenged by the United Nations. Am I right about that? I, I really have to research it. It's a, it's a good point. But you know, when the statue there was destroyed by the Taliban, when uh, Palmyra was destroyed, you saw, but you didn't see the kind of outrage. You didn't see a vote in UNESCO. You didn't see the kind of condemnation and, and uh, broad involvement in protecting the sites that were being destroyed. And here, all the sites are being preserved. The, the very things that they're complaining about, the excavations, are only uncovering our past. They're done with such care and such sensitivity. And Muslim places or uh, Armenian places, others are not touched if they don't get permission. And if no other country would, would abide by these uh, restrictions. And yet Israel does. They can't attach the Mugrabi gate to, to the, the place where you walk up from the Kotel and everybody sees that tall staircase. Well, it's not connected because the WAP objected. I mean, what other country in the world would, would agree to that? Something that doesn't change the status quo of anything, doesn't damage anything, doesn't do anything except enable people to walk on there and to, to look from there. So. I think that the record of Israel in this regard is so extraordinary, and for them and for the UNESCO at a time when we see the disregard, the destruction, both of life and of property and of religious sites, and and hardly any kind of protest. Yeah, that's the way it is. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. 
Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org, and of course on the NSN app. A little bit of an abridged version of the weekly update here on a Friday as we'll be exploring Colomoid events and other stuff before we get to the end of this morning's broadcast. What do you think of this secret meeting between, I guess it was secret, uh, between uh, the President of Israel, the Chief Sephardic Rabbi of Israel, the President of the Sharia Court of the PA, and other rabbis who gathered together at the President's residence. Well, I am next to the President and Ni'ila at the Great Synagogue on Yom Kippur, and uh, did have a chance to talk to him. Uh, I did not go into detail about the secret meeting, because it was a secret, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> which everybody knows about. Yeah. Look, I think it's a good idea that religious leaders should be heard on the critical issues of the day and making their voices uh, known against the extremism and radicalism that we see so rampant in uh, in the world today. I wish that uh, Islamic leaders would, in fact, do much more, uh, Muslim leaders, to speak out against the Islamists and to to uh, it would help differentiate the masses of the Muslim population from those who are engaging in extremist activities. Uh, you know, I saw that in in, um, in one of the countries, uh, I think it was in France, that they made a recommendation that Muslim perpetrators can't be identified as Muslim anymore. Mm. Well, they shouldn't be singled out, and they shouldn't be... But to say that you can't identify it, if you can't name it, if you can't uh, say, you know, who the perpetrators are, not to broad brush them, I think the failure to do so makes it indistinguishable between those who do engage in violence and those who are opposed to it. Yeah. So... The, the wisdom of the approach, I think, is certainly very questionable. By the way, could you indulge me just one more comment about the uh, UNESCO thing? There are Israeli officials who are, uh, who are charging the Israeli radical left for actively participating with the, uh, let's call it anti-Israel, anti-holy sites side of the UNESCO argument. Is that true? Would they, would they stoop to that level where they would be fighting against their own tradition about which are the holy sites, which are not? I don't know that they would deny the connection at all, but you, you see that playing about the presence and participation of Jews when they go up to, and they're not pray, when they go up to visit on the Temple Mount, or there have been demonstrations against uh, some of the excavations which are just uncovering our past. I mean, this contribution to civilization as a whole, to, to our history, to the collective history of mankind. And and yet you see these demonstrations, and most of all now we see people going to testify at a U.N. session, you know, which is going to address the, the, the these issues and some of these issues, and groups that uh, are rooted in Israel or based in Israel participate. It is very counterproductive, and they become a cover for those who, who harbor these extremist anti-Israel views and, and who want to see Israel destroyed. And they point to the participation to say, well, we're balanced. We have, you know, Israeli participants here. Yeah. Oh, we're all, our own worst enemy, Mr. Honline. You ever think sometimes, of that? Sometimes, and sometimes we're our best friends. Yeah, I hope you're right about that part. Um, Director General of the Foreign Ministry, Dory Gold, has resigned. What's the backstory on that one? Well, I met with him last night, and I have to say he assured me that this was the, not, that the stories that abound and speculation about why he resigned, that he did it for 18 months, and he, you know, it's a, it's a back-breaking job, especially when there's no foreign minister, and he, he had only signed up as an interim appointment with the prime minister's uh, agreement, and he felt that it was time for him to return to his previous pursuits, and 
he said that's all that there is to it. There was no none of the personal acrimony that some people have tried to uh, ascribe it to. Him. You've spent a lot of time in Israel, relatively speaking, over the last couple of weeks. Is this issue of the uh, judge um, postponing the sentencing of the terrorist who ended up killing uh, two people at the beginning of this week, um, is, is that story as big as it should be? Is there is there going to be action taken against the judge um, because of this uh, uh, lackadaisical approach to the sentencing of the terrorist? Yeah, there's been discussion of it in the media generally, but I have to tell you, when I, when I talk to people at meetings, it doesn't come up. You know, there are so many cases uh, of the Israeli soldier that that gets more discussion about how they handle yeah. uh, some of these very sensitive cases. And when you're talking about security, it's it's really a critical uh, matter, and it's also the messages that are sent. So yes, these issues are discussed, but right now I think people are so overwhelmed by the American election, frankly, uh, much to my dismay. That that is the first thing and the last thing that they want to talk about, and they want everybody to explain the craziness of the American electoral system. What's going on? You know, the kind of uh, the, many people stayed up to watch the first debate and ask questions, have questions about you know things that were said and how it was conducted. I think that the, this issue alone, there's also a great deal of concern of what will happen right after the election if the Obama administration, the president, secretary of state, somebody will agree to a statement to a UN action. And Kerry, when asked about it a couple of days ago, said that he would not rule out uh, an action. He said he, that no decision has yet been made, but he wouldn't rule it out. That is a change. And I hope that the, the wise minds will prevail and they will not do anything because it will only hurt any chance of peace. Did you watch the second debate? I was here, so I did see part of it. Did you, I mean, could, could, because you and I had discussed that there would likely be, or at least you conjectured that there would be more of an, a, uh, of an emphasis on foreign policy during the second debate, uh, did you get the idea that, um, that the people on stage may have been a little bit confused when it came to certain aspects of foreign policy? <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, <laughs> that's an uncharacteristically diplomatic approach to <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good description, but I, I was disappointed by the fact that you don't have the in-depth discussion or the follow-up regarding some of the issues to, to draw people out more because of what they will do in the future. How will they handle the increasingly sensitive issues? Look what's happened in Yemen in the last couple of days. And I know people don't know where Yemen is. They know that about the Taymanim, the Jews came from Yemen, but basically don't care. And if you if you remember two years ago, I spoke about it on the show for several weeks warning about what was happening when it was only 300 Houthis. Now they're firing rockets at American ships. This is an outrage. And the, the fact these are Iranian-supplied, Chinese-made uh, missiles. There were ballistic missiles fire, fired. It wasn't just one incident. They fired at a UAE uh, unarmed uh, ship um, and are threatening to do much more. And this is an escalating uh, battle. It's, it is a a front for the Sunni-Shiite battle. It is a front for Saudi Arabia versus Iran, which represents the Sunni-Shiite battle. Right. And this escalation, and the fact that the Saudis, you know, attacked by air and killed eight people at a high-profile funeral, maybe, perhaps no, some later time, but the tension that creates between the United States and Saudi Arabia, the tension 
of the United States and, and Yemen. And yet we do not see the onus placed on Iran, which is backing the Houthis, providing them with the weapons, essentially controlling them. And they say that they control the, the capital of Sana, along with three other Arab capitals. And I think that we're just sending consistently the wrong message to them, and, and it invites them to these kind of provocations. By the way, go back for a second. I'm, I'm sorry to uh, keep jumping around. Did you have a chance to see or read any of the WikiLeaks um, uh, articles or reviews in terms of what was found and, in general, how the Obama administration and specifically Secretary Clinton during her tenure uh, viewed uh, Israel and its relationship with the U.S.? I really did not have a chance. I have them all printed for me in New York, and we'll book them there. I was obviously sent the ones where my name was mentioned, but uh, I did not have a chance really to... It's something you have to study in depth because I know all the individuals, and, and you have to read for the nuance, and are they simply saying what the, the interlocutor wants to hear or the petitioner wants to hear, or do we see a consistent pattern in terms of the policies that they are articulating? And the words in this case are very important. Yeah. Um, there was an article this week about Iran's uh, uranium enrichment. Has anything slowed their progress at all? I mean, there is some slowing, obviously, because of the freezing of some of the plants and the construction. But when we see the more and more aggressive stand, let, you know, the more sanctions we relieve, we see the provocations like the one in Yemen and the, um, uh, the actions they are. Uh, engaged in, in fact, in some of the, in, in Syria, for instance, with the replacement of the population of, of uh, replacing Sunnis with, with Shiites from Iraq, because they want to build a land bridge to the Mediterranean, something we've warned about for a long time. The Russians share that goal, and they are moving in Russia, supposedly, to convert Sunnis to, to Shiism, uh, because the radical Sunnis are, are pose a, a threat to them. And the uh, the Iranians are consistently uh, ratcheting up their um, aggressiveness. We saw it vis-a-vis Saudi Arabia and, and Yemen and, and other uh, places as well. But the the uh, support for Hamas, for Hezbollah, for other terrorist operations are are increasing all the time, and the money now enables them to do much more. Yeah. Uh, all right, an abridged version of the weekly update. I apologize. Next week, Cholamoed, uh, uh, we are scheduled to uh, speak with Malcolm from Jerusalem, please God. And uh, the following week, back to our regular schedule here. So that'll be that. Have a wonderful Shabbos and a uh, beautiful Chag Sukkot in Jerusalem, Mr. Honline. Chag Sameach to you, to your family, to everyone who's listening. It should be a real year of Simcha. And remember that the, they tell us the most difficult uh, mitzvah is infuse simcha in all that we do, and sometimes it may be hard with some of the issues, but we have so much to be thankful for. Being here in Yerushalayim reminds us how much we should be misamech with all the good things God has given us, and it strengthens us to deal with the challenges. Amen to that. Thank you so much. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM and the AM.